As I came here two and a half years ago, I had a strong leading in my heart that the Holy Spirit was at work here at the assembly, had been in the entire history of the church. And God was assigning Kelly and me and our family to come and be part of this next great journey of the church. God gave me a promise that he would move us forward. And that became a picture, a picture of how he would move us forward, which is the core values of a New Testament church. We're going to move forward in our worship, our community and discipleship, and our outreach. As we come into the summer, I just try to put a chair in front of that picture, and I try to ask God, where are we really? I want to confront the brutal facts. I want to learn because I want us to be at our best for God. And so, Lord, as we move toward that vision reality to be at our best in all of these core values, what about me needs to change as the pastor of the assembly? What about us needs to change? What about our our strategy needs to change so that we can go from where we are to where God wants us to be? And I want to share with you the messages that God is putting in my heart out of these core values that speak to where we are and where God wants us to go. And we'll start today in this core value of worship. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus 25. Exodus 25. And I want to read beginning at verse 8. It says, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. So we learn right here that God wants to be with us. God is ordering them to build a place where the people can gather, and he will do certain things. Now notice, we're taught in verse 22. Go down to verse 22. And it says, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. Two things. He says, I will meet with you there and talk to you. I believe this sets clearly... The way to begin our thinking about our corporate gathering. A congregation is this. This is the definition right from the dictionary. A group of people assembled for worship. A crowd is defined as a large number of people gathered together. It is our desire to build a congregation. We are not interested in building a crowd. We all understand crowds. You can gather and you can gather for any number of reasons. And by the time that gathering is over, it may have little to no lasting value in your life and certainly no eternal significance. When it comes to the church, we are not trying to assemble a large number of people so that we can talk about the crowds that come to the assembly. We are a congregation. We are assembled here to worship. The fact that we are a congregation does not limit the number who will attend. Matter of fact, I think if we get this right, it will only increase the number of people who come here. I I, I had some people back in my church heritage that if the church got very large, you couldn't be anointed. Because you couldn't be anointed and grow at the same time. There's no way you can be preaching against sin and still have a growing church. So uh, we understood where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I in the midst of them. Matter of fact, when, when, when we weren't meeting budget, all, we could just sit in the church and go, okay, who's not coughing up? It had to be one of the three families in the church. 
I'm talking about a church so small that when we'd have like uh, prayer request time, people would say, I have an unspoken request. I wanted to stand up and say, just say it. We all know what it is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm not talking about any limits on the, the number of people attend. Matter of fact, I think it will only boost the attendance when the magnet to this corporate gathering is the very presence of the Holy Spirit. We are a congregation. Our vision is to build a congregation. Here's what I'm saying. I want you, I want us to experience God. I want to experience the God of the Bible. I want to experience the God that we think about, talk about, and pray to. I want to experience Him. I believe in the combinational power of spirit and truth. I believe in truth. But information, apart from the experience of who he is, leaves one uh, needy, and it's not holistic in vision. I said, I want our kids to have an environment where they can experience God and then be educated in who God is. I want them to know God and then to make God known. I want us to experience God. I want our young people to be impressed with the presence of God. I have no problem with using creative elements and all of the gifts and the talents and the tools that God gives us. But if those lead the way, then at the end of the day, we're impressed with creativity. We're impressed with what man can do. What we need in 2011 is a group of people, whether they be children, young people, young adults, adults, senior adults, saying, I know that God met with us today. My prayer is, come, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. I want us to experience God. It says here in Exodus 25 that God will meet with us and talk with us. And when I first read that, I thought it's one and the same. But you can meet with somebody and talk with them. But it's possible to talk with them and not meet with them. If I send you an email, I'm talking to you, but I'm not meeting with you. However, if that email is charged with much information that's got like emotion to it, if you and I have an issue, we need to meet face to face. If we try to work it out in an email, you may not understand uh, because you don't hear the tone, you don't see the expression, you don't sense the attitude. It's possible to speak to somebody but not meet with them. It's intentional what God says here. He wants to meet with us and speak with us. He's not interested in just us downloading the latest word from the word. He wants it to be spirit and truth, because there's a combinational power here where this word becomes illuminated. It means it comes alive. It becomes a right now word written 2,000 years ago, but you're reading it as though God wrote it right now today for your life. It's the combinational power of spirit and truth. Would you think with me for a moment about Jacob? Jacob, back in Genesis 28, why don't you look at the screen with me and I'll show you this verse. Genesis 28, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. No, that's 2 Corinthians. That's not. I know it says Genesis 28. Now that's Genesis 28. Uh, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. Key words. It says, go back. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't, past tense, even aware of it. 
The Lord is in this place. But I wasn't aware of it, but I am now. That's what Jacob is saying. He's here. I didn't know it, but now I do. Awareness. Focus. Attentiveness. This is so very important. Consider the life of Moses. Can I take you back to my fourth grade classroom with Sister Westerfield? If you, didn't, if you weren't here last Sunday, you could look at that message and it'll give you some of my relationship with this incredible teacher in my life, my fourth grade teacher. We came in class the very next Sunday after she had taught us Psalm 23, which was last Sunday's message. When we walked into class and we sat down and she knew everybody was there that was coming, she said, now get out of your seats and push them against the wall. We said, oh, here we go again. She grabs the shepherd's staff. She said, get down on all fours, and here we are, crawling around our room, following Sister Westerfield. As Sister Westerfield leads us around that room, she begins to quote Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 5. That's the Moses and burning bush passage. She talks about Moses, who was leading his father-in-law's sheep, through the desert, had come to the mountain of God, and on his way, he sees this bush, and it was on fire, and the Bible says he looked. Because the bush was on fire. And she said, now that wasn't unusual. What was unusual is that the bush wasn't being consumed. And the word says, and Moses stared with amazement. And then it says he turned from the sheep, he turned aside and went over to that very location. Then, out of that experience, there was a voice. And the voice says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Then God outlined destiny for Moses. Moses then said all the reasons he couldn't go and do what God called him to do. And then God worked in such a way where Moses had a transformation in his thinking and went on to be the prince of Egypt and led the people out of bondage. As she was walking around, she walked up close to the flannel board and she pasted on the flannel board this picture of a burning bush. She then looked back at us with those eyes that had been in the Word of God, with that presence that says, I have come once again to teach you something. She had this idea that the teacher hadn't taught until the student has learned. She was never one that just had to get through, through her material. She was one making sure you were getting it. And so as she looked at us, she talked about Moses doing his day, his business, his job, his career. His daily routine was to lead the sheep. But on this day, he became aware. And he was willing to turn aside and focus on the presence of God. She said to us, as you grow up, the challenge will be in the busyness of your everyday life. Will you just move past what God is trying to do? The entrance he's trying to make into your life. Or will you pause and be aware? At that point, she's over by the chalkboard and she writes the word 
focus across the chalkboard. She says, say this word back to me. We're still on our board. We say, focus. She said, will you focus? Because Moses turned, he looked, he stared with amazement, the Bible says. He became aware of the presence of God. She said, are you going to be focused worshipers? And we said, yes. She pulled up a seat. She looked at us as she pulled out a note. She said, I want to talk about this note. She said, let me read it to you. Do you like me? If you do, check yes. If you don't, check no. She rolled it back up. She said, one of you little sinners wrote this during children's church last week while we were worshiping. I said, it wasn't me. I just want to tell you that right now. That's back in the day where your teacher, the deacons, and your daddy could whip you. So anyway, that, some of you don't know anything about that. So she said, we had a worship service and God was present. But some of you were distracted. Some of you miss what God had for you. One of the great challenges for every one of us is the distractions of life. Are we going to allow those distractions to keep us from a focus on the presence of God that's here to meet with us and speak with us? While I'm speaking, you can be texting, shopping, Checking the scores of the game. Playing games. You little sinners. Uh, <laughs> I just uh, felt that Sister Westerfield anointing coming on me. I know only those people in the 12 o'clock service do that. I know none of you would do that. I know, I know you. There are all of these potential distractions. I get up really early on Sunday mornings. I charge into this place and I'm putting final prayers on my heart and going over the message, going over the notes, the manuscript. I want to come out here ready to go, dialed in, ready to worship, and especially today on a day to cast vision. I keep my iPad, my laptop, all these important documents. They're all in my backpack. Man, I rushed out to my Tahoe about 4.45 this morning, got in my Tahoe, and my backpack had been stolen. It's gone. That's why the sermon's going to be so long today, because I don't know where to stop. I have no idea. I know where to start, but I don't have a clue where to land this plane. But you can text me and let me know. So anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm in a process. We're praying. We're, we're renting where we are right now. We're praying about moving into a new home. So I've entered this and all these documents were in there, just everything. So, uh, so now I get an opportunity to get ready for this service with that on my mind. And so the Lord said, first of all, let's make this clear. I, the Lord said to me, I, I didn't take your backpack. 
And, and I didn't lead anybody to take your backpack. But you're really going to learn a great lesson here today. Remember Sister Westerfield? Saying you're going to have an opportunity to be distracted. Luke 8, parable of the sower. It's all about Jesus wanting to work in our lives. And so the seed, the work of Jesus, gets put in the soil. But the condition of the soil had everything to do with the impact of the seed. The soil was like our hearts. Four kinds of hearts. Let me show you a verse in Luke chapter 8. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent, represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares of this life. There are other things, riches and pleasures, but cares. It's just those worries, those cares. Matter of fact, NIV says the worries of life. Every one of us come in here with certain cares of life. And if we aren't careful, they can become the distractions that keep us from being aware. We're planning the business meeting. We're planning the the next week's routine. We're trying to figure out who has my laptop. We're trying to work out all of these issues in our mind. And we can can lose focus. We can be distracted. And here's the deal. What I need most today, what we all need, is what God has, has determined to do in our lives today. There is a very distinct work of God for this gathering that may be unlike any gathering we've ever had or will have. And as it unfolds, we discern that distinct work and say, Holy Spirit, you're here. You're speaking to me. You're helping me today. And if I'm caught up thinking about the cares, the worries of life, I miss it and I go away saying, you know, the Lord is there, but I wasn't aware of it. I let those distractions come in. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now, let's look at these important verses. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, what is there? There is what? Okay, verse 18. And we all, no one's left out, who with unveiled faces, why are our faces unveiled? Because Jesus has died and risen again, and redemption has come, the veil's been rent, we have access to God. So now, we all with a heart that's been saved, can contemplate, can muse, meditate, consider, focus on the Lord's glory. And as a result, we're being transformed, being changed. Now we just went to the next level. As we experience God, because we are contemplating, we're in an atmosphere of worship where we are focused on God. And therefore, we're experiencing God. And as we experience God, we behold His character and His nature. And as we see who He is and who we are, spirit and word, spirit and truth coming together begins to create an exchange. And I go from who I am to who I need to be in the context of worship. This is why we are here. My heart is passionate about this. Let's go back to Jacob. Why was Jacob there at Bethel? Because he was on the run. Why? Because he had stolen his brother's backpack that had his iPad and his laptop. It was called a birthright, but I'm telling you, it was a laptop and his iPad. And he's on the run. Now, 
Who was his brother? Esau. What was Esau's attitude about? Esau went right to his mom. This is also Jacob's mom. And he said, I'm going to kill him. And he wasn't playing. And Esau was a hunter. He hunted like wild animals. I'm a hunter. I go out stalking. And Kelly says, you always come back. You never kill anything. Why don't you hunt cows? They're like just standing right there. They're like, you can't miss them. And you actually eat them. So, and I could eat a whole one right now. Anyway, uh, so she's, this guy was a hunter. Wild animals that tried to evade. And, and he knew how to track them. He was going to find Jacob. Jacob was on the run because Jacob was a thief. Jacob was a conniver. Jacob was a supplanter. And so the presence of the Lord comes. He wasn't aware, but now he is. Now watch this. God's presence was there to take something from Jacob and to give something to Jacob. He wanted to take away that part of him that was deviant and deceptive and put in a consistency of character. And that's the the lordship moment that led Jacob to becoming known as Israel. A prince with God. Like the most consistency. So, so that through the years, the passing on of our faith would come from our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and this one day thief who was changed by the exchange in the presence of God. See, God's presence comes and there is an exchange. Consider Moses. He's at the burning bush. He's experiencing God. God gives him a leading. Moses says, I can't do it. Moses had a past. Moses had committed murder. Moses had insecurity. Moses stuttered when he talked. He said, I cannot do what you're calling me to do. But in the presence of God, beholding the character of God, because he said, Moses, take off your shoes. The ground upon which you are standing is holy. The character of God, there was an exchange. And Moses was then able to do what before he could not do because in the experience was an exchange. And he became the prince of Egypt, a one-day murderer an insecure person becomes a leader and the writer of the first five books of the Bible. In God's presence, there's the meeting and the speaking. He meets with us. He speaks with us. It's amazing. Here's my vision. We come into this place and say, I won't allow distraction. I'm going to worship God. God's among us. He's here. And as I experience him and declare his character and nature in worship, those who come in with fear, there will be an exchange and they'll go from fear to peace. Say amen. How how many people need that exchange today? People who come in here and they're discouraged, there will be an exchange and they will leave encouraged. People who are sick, there will be an exchange. They will be healed. Come on. That's what we're about. Worshiping God and experiencing God and letting God bring about this exchange. Jesus said in the New Testament, he was anointed 
What was that anointing to do? It's about five things. He was going to bind up the brokenhearted. He was going to set the captive free. He was going to preach the good news. I mean, it's that same anointing. The Holy Spirit brings it in our meetings now. And out of that presence, there's an experience and an exchange so that the addicted are free and the lost are saved and the fearful receive peace and the discouraged are encouraged. That is the church that God's calling us to be. I have no criticism of any vision that another church has. That's on them. If they'll keep the cross as central, they will be fine. If they keep the blood as lifted up as forgiveness of sins and relationship with Jesus, I'm all good with that. But here, we are called to lift our hearts, to open our hearts, to worship Jesus, experience the God of the Bible, and to be changed by Him. You won't leave here. Let me talk to you out of Sister Westerfield's theology. She said, you You won't leave here like you came. Bound, oppressed, tormented, sick, or lame. Wayne, do I have it all clear? Great. Thus saith Wayne. Let's keep on going. (laughs) Right. Talking about this exchange. I tell you what, can can I pause for a moment and tell you we were in Jamaica doing a missions trip. Kelly remembers this like right now. Uh, Man, I was preaching my heart out. That place was packed with people and... I'm preaching on hell. I was preaching it as hot as I could make it. And I had everybody dangling over the flames. I mean, and I was, I was coming to the altar call, and the lights just go out. I mean, it was pitched. And you could tell the whole village. And I kept right on preaching. I said, listen to me. God is speaking to your heart. And I kept right on going. And the guy who was with me, he took our van and he pulled it up and had the headlights coming right down the center aisle so people could see the aisle and come to the altar and meet Jesus. So, praise the Lord. So here's my challenge. As we come in here, that's our heart. That's our passion. That is our focus. Listen to this verse. I won't even put them on the screen. I'll, let me just go through them. Psalm 16:11 says, In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's a promise of the presence of God. Here's what Psalm 9, verse 3 says. That in the presence of Jesus, the enemies are scattered. So I want you to see that these challenges, these, the spiritual battles, the attacks, in the context of worship, in the presence of God, there's victory. This is an atmosphere where we have the authority by the name of Jesus to say, encouragement and peace, power, healing, deliverance, It's available in Jesus' name. We enter with thanksgiving. We enter that atmosphere with praise. We we enter with singing and give God praise. I talked about a what-if situation in closing, and let me do it again. What if I said, I would like to offer to all of us, and I'm providing the transportation, we have the buses reserved, No, let's fly. We have the planes. It's much better to fly. We're going to fly to Colorado. And then we're going to rent buses. And I want to take you to experience the mountains. It's about, I I said in the early service, it's like 80 degrees. If they have a heat wave, it'll get up to about 88. This person came right after the first service and said, I just want you to tell, I just came from Estes Park. It was 48 degrees. I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. 
So imagine if we could fly. Okay, but I announced this trip is going to be beautiful. I want you to experience it. I want you to go and experience this. But some said, you know what? It sounds good, but we'll stay here and we'll Google Colorado. Some will watch the Discovery Channel and just watch shows about it. The rest of us go. We've now flown in, we've landed, we're on the buses, and we're going right into the beautiful mountains, and we stop, and I say, okay, now everybody get off the buses, and let's go. And, and many on the buses say, you know what, we're just going to stay on the bus, and we're going to experience it from right here. Others get off the bus, and they feel the ground beneath their feet. They, they, they kneel down and put their hands in the mountain streams. They experience the waterfalls, the beauty, the aspen groves, the, the temperature, the aroma. They're just taking it all in. Now we're all back and the Sunday has come for testimonies. And the first group testifies who just decided to stay here. And they say, you know, the pictures were beautiful. We enjoyed it. The next group who rode the buses, but they never got off the buses. They're going, wow. They say to the people who just saw it in picture, you should have seen it in person. We saw it in person. And it's so much better than the pictures. Matter of fact, you just, you've got to go. But then we hear from the people who got out, walked it, experienced it. And they're going, we got off that bus. We breathed in that mountain air. We put our hands and feet in the stream. We saw the waterfalls that brought these flowers back. Aren't these beautiful? They have a whole different experience because they went further. I've said it to you before. You can go to Niagara Falls and there's a hotel where you can get in the room. You can see the falls and you can go get a room there and come back and say, I've been to Niagara Falls. You can go out of that room across the street into a park and the mist from the falls will, if the wind's blowing, will come across you. You can say, the mist, I've been to Niagara Falls, even the mist has fallen on me. Or you can go and buy a ticket and get on the boat that takes you right into the basin where the the host says, look, you can wear a raincoat, but I'm just telling you, you're going to be drenched. It's going to overwhelm you. You're going to be soaking wet. And you can come back and say, I've been to Niagara Falls. I've been in the falls. So in worship... You can stay in the hotel room if you want to. You can walk just outside and have, or you can come on into the Holy of Holies. Outer court, inner court, Holy of Holies. God wants us to be a church where we will come on into the holy place, experience Him, His character and nature, and then watch the exchange, the transformation of who we are and who he wants us to be. A man leaving church last week said to me, I'm going through a tough time. But because I was here today, I've experienced peace for the first time in this situation. That's, that's the point. He came in, but he worshipped. He had a reason to be distracted, but he worshipped. And he experienced God in exchange. God took the anxiety, the apprehension, the worry, and gave him you close your eyes. God's calling us to be a house of worship.